Episode 248 of the PJ Archive comprises interviews I did with the American-born British composer and conductor Carl Davis and his wife, the English actress Jean Boat. Carl and Jean, who'd married in late 1970 and had two daughters, died within six weeks of each other in 2023. From about 1986 for a decade, I was fortunate to interview this truly lovely, kind couple numerous times as I lived in Barnes, the area of southwest London they then also called home. These particular interviews took place at their house in 1993. Firstly, you'll hear Carl, who wrote music for more than a hundred television programmes, including the classic series World at War, The Naked Civil Servant and Pride and Prejudice. Films he worked on included The French Lieutenant's Woman, Champions and Scandal. Carl's many film, ballet and concert scores were performed worldwide, including in 1991 Paul McCartney's Liverpool Oratorio, on which he collaborated with the former Beatle. I began this interview by asking Carl what work he had planned. The immediate projects are a Screen 2 BBC film called Genghis Cohn, C-O-H-N, with Anthony Sher and uh, Robert Lindsay, which is great, great fun. And I'm composing that now, and that will be going out in uh, early 94. Then I'm doing the BBC's series on Mrs. Thatcher, the four hours of uh, the Downing Street years. And the funny thing about that is, is um, it, it's very, proving very difficult to compose. I haven't struck it yet because everybody has such strong views about her that if you write something rather uh, nice, they'll say, no, 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 that makes it seem as if we're for her. Mm. And if you write something rather aggressive, they'll say, no, no, we mustn't be seen to be anti-her. Mm. So uh, I'm struggling. <laughs> do, you, do you have to keep your views on her very secretive? Well, it isn't, it isn't a secret. I think everyone's views on her are really rather mixed, you know, and I think you probably can't blame, mm. you know, the entire downfall of British society on one person. Mm. <laughs> so what sort of music do you envisage it being? I think it will be probably end up being rather nearer to newsreel, to the sort of stuff we have on the news, you know, in introducing a news, a news program, because I think the, the tenor of the programs are very political in, in, in character and about the, the major news events. So I think it will be something like uh, introducing a, new, a news reading program. Are you going to meet her? Are you going to, do you think you have to to get inspiration? Uh, not to get inspiration. I'll be seeing it. I'll be yeah. seeing it ahead of everybody else. Mm. No, we, we saw her a lot. <laughs> we also, I think probably there'll be a jamboree at the end. There usually mm. is. You know, like mm. For instance, at the end of the Royal Painting series I did, we, we were all invited to the palace to mm. watch a couple of episodes with, with the Queen and, and mm. Prince Philip. So that was kind of fun. Mm. Got me in there ahead of the tourists. <laughs> Would you like to uh, meet Margaret Thatcher then? Oh, I think, I think all these people are fascinating to see in life, you know, as mm. opposed to the distance of that and indeed from the mid-70s I began to meet people like Heath when he was in mm -hmm. power, um, uh, the Queen, Prince Philip, Princess of Wales, uh, you know, Princess Margaret, always at ballet premieres and, and performances, you know, so there, there have been people around at these things, you know, for a lot of the, in fact Alexandra came to Leeds Castle this year which was the mm -hmm. first sort of royal mm -hmm. they, they've had, though for years they always had many, many cabinet members, ex or 
current mm. uh, at their at their concerts. Uh, they, they they kind of are the con the Leeds Castle has always operated on two levels, which was mm. uh, posh up at the castle and the, the folk down below. Mm. And after a while, I began to you know what really uh, be part of, of both both mm. worlds, and that that was sort of fun. And in a way, it's very interesting to put the human face on the, on these well-known people who you see only through the media of television or newspapers. Do you think there's going to be any resentment the fact that you're an American doing music for what's going to be a very British series? I have lived here now so many years, and since 1960, that there really has never been a problem about uh, about that, and that I've worked on very specifically English mm. English themes. So um, that has never actually arisen. Anyway, to go on with the schedule, the, the schedule as, it, as well, th those are the sort of current television projects. But the main sort of live performance is, is and, and thrust of the rest of the year is to continue with this, this long project on, on composing or arranging music for silent films, which started in 1980 with Napoleon and has really continued very healthily since. The main thing is an enormous charity concert on October 31st in which the Royal Liverpool Philharmonic will be coming down from Liverpool and playing what will be a reconstruction and rearrangement of Chaplin's own music for The Gold Rush, a film that many people feel is the best of his feature films. He made the film originally in 1925 and it was a silent film with title cards. And in 1942, thought there would be revived interest in it if he took out the title cards, re-edited it, wrote a, narr a spoken narration and a score so that it was a sound film. You actually heard the orchestral score and the, and the narration. Since 1980, uncovering all this stuff, and in particular doing series like Unknown Chaplin and the, a reconstruction of his score for City Lights, and having a great success with going around the world conducting live performances of City Lights, I thought it would be very, very exciting to move on to another of his films. Mm -hmm. And so we, we had this idea, my colleagues and I, David Gill and Kevin Brownlow, of Photoplay Productions, to go on with this project of finding more, more Chaplin that could be revealed in this way. They have done a restoration of the 1925 version of it, and I'm adapting the 1942 score to fit it, mm -hmm. which is what I'm in the middle of now. Uh, and is lying un untouched upstairs. <laughs> so that, that has got a big premiere on October 31st. Then we can continue with new scores and new things for the London Film Festival and for Channel 4. Channel 4 has always been the sponsor for what was initially the Thames Silent series. Now that there is no longer a Thames television, um, they have undertaken to sponsor the series of silent films themselves. And so we're going to do the premiere of a new score by me for a marvelous World War I film called Wings. That will be on the 12th of November at the Parkway Cinema, where last year we did the premiere of a new score for The Four Horsemen of the Apocalypse with Rudolf Valentino. It was a terrific draw. It was two sold-out performances, and we're hoping that Wings will do very well there as well. Channel 4 feels that the Parkway Cinema, which is a bit of a cause because it's yeah. a cinema under threat, mm that will be interesting. So that, that's sort of my current, my current thrust. January, we'll see the beginning of a new, I hope, a work with McCartney. 
and I hope that we'll, we'll continue from the success because it, the the um, follow through of the '91 premiere in Liverpool was uh, terrific, and I just have come back from Spain where I've done my mm. 23rd performance mm. of the work. But other people are doing it as well, and I think we're pushing near 50 performances of it, which I think is quite outstanding for a new, you know, classical mm. work. To How satisfied were you with that work that you did together? It was really a very thrilling. Mm thrilling collaboration uh, he, he was my he, he likes to collaborate I mean that was what was what I, I really found and was was a lot of fun and so do I so the idea of the two of us sitting down and doing it proved to be a very natural thing to do for him if we think of the years he worked with John Lennon he worked with George Martin quite a lot on arrangements mm -hmm. so it wasn't people ask me very often how the two worlds get together but in fact he really had has quite a wide vocabulary in classical music. I mean, he knows what instruments sound like, he has some idea of their ranges, he knows how to combine them. And uh, it was uh, fascinating working with an intuitive musician who, who, along the journey, had picked up quite a bit of info. What's he like as a person? Well, I think he's smashing. I think he's smashing. I think he, he really is interesting. He's very informed, he's very impassioned about politics, about ecology, about you know, uh, uh, art, he paints very interested. Uh, he has a really quite an outstanding collection already of, of, of other paintings. And very interested, I mean, everything, every day is a new beginning for him. What kind of a partnership was it? Quite a temperamental one or a very easygoing one or just very creative? I thought it was well, as good a one as I've ever had. I mean, I thought that uh, on the working level, it was just idyllic. You know, he, we seem to just get along beautifully. Mm. Is he as familiar with your work as, as you are with his? He got so. We began to exchange albums, and he knew all about my film work even before we began, before mm. I approached him. He, 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 knew, he knew a lot about me. Are there many people you'd still like to work with? In that area, no. I mean, I think I'd like to cling on to that. I thought that was really uh, fascinating. Mm. and I. I feel very good about it because I thought that the initial idea, which was to try and get some of that richness of melody he had in the Beatles times, and still has really, mm. into a classical work, mm. you know, and you know, has proved has proved to work. In other words, it, the more it isn't that I get less interested in doing it mm. as I move around the world, and you're suddenly conducting a Polish choir or mm. a Catalan choir mm. or a, a Japanese choir or a mm. Quebecois choir, and it, it becomes more and more interesting to do. So. What do you think this next piece will be like? It's very, very hard to say. I mean, he really, whatever it will be like, it will not be like the oratorio. Mm. Now, both of you are going to be you know, remembered for long after you've gone. I mean, is that a nice feeling? Uh, it's not one that plays too to, to great a part in my, in my motivation throughout life. I think, I think that, you know, you don't want to be looking at yourself with such objectivity. You just want to take the next one and be very excited and committed to it. Mm. Are you still a very ambitious man? Oh, yes. Oh, yes. I've just started. Now, <laughs> Jean is incredibly excited and supportive about your work. Are mm. you similarly so about hers? Oh, yes. I'd really, I'd really like to see her career flower. I, I really enjoyed that. I mean, remember that when we first met, I mean, she was just doing tiny parts on telly and uh, small parts in the theatre, though she had had a very major career outside of London. And uh, I think what's happened in the last six or seven years with the development out of bread, the bread play, has been, you know, A, richly deserved, and B, you know, just marvellous. And I, I really would like to see her do 
interesting new plays in a West End context. I'd like to see her. I, what people don't know is how well she sings and dances, mm -hmm. and I think that uh, really she could front either a, a major revival of a, of a musical or, or actually have one written for her. I think uh, people just don't know that about her, and I think I want to start talking about it because I think she's, she's wonderful in that area. Another area I would love to mention is that I'm creating a whole new way of doing pops concerts in Liverpool and I've just come f this last summer in July from doing nine concerts in two weeks, a real marathon and I'm giving you a program of what that that fortnight was like with the Liverpool Philharmonic in a huge big top on the King's Dock and we're going to do it for the next two years we're going to get this tent and have this tent and do these these pops which are modeled on the Boston pops and I'd just love you to mention this ongoing relationship with the Liverpool Philharmonic which after all started with the oratorio but we've gone on if I can just go back to family sure, for a sure. minute. I mean, you and Jean seem so different, and yet you've been together for 22 years. And seem yeah, very amazing. Do you think <laughs> the, the contrast between you is, is what helps it stay together and stay I, exciting? I think that we both pursue our own individual paths, you know, and that we both respect that. About your daughters? How, yeah, how, okay, how, we have to talk about my daughters. How are you, uh, They're beautiful. Indeed. <laughs> how do you feel about them going into show business? It was inevitable, wasn't it? Wasn't Born it? in a trunk. <laughs> Did you not warn them off? Did you not? No, say? no. I mean, uh, I, a, I, my attitude towards both girls is 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 that they must do what they want to do, mm. because uh, as I say, could you imagine the children of Jean Boat and Carl Davis, you know, conforming to any line, any particular line? Absolutely. Or, <laughs> you know, they must do what they want to do, and I think that if we we have been successful at all with them, it's that we've just opened the door to say, you see, this is fun, this is interesting. You know, take your choice, but never to impose. Do you not think the fact that you are who you are puts a lot of pressure on them though, straight away? God, I don't know. Now they're gradually leaving home, as it were. Does yeah. that make you sad? Well, the, the the place seems empty. I mean, we still we still have this image that Jesse is going to be sleepwalking and wander into our room at about three in the morning. So the bedroom door still somehow is open, <laughs> but uh, she doesn't. So. There are moments when it's the place feels very empty, you know, when you when we somehow are still carrying the years in which in which everybody was here. But we see them a lot, and we're very interested in them. And then our lives are continually expanding in terms of work and different sorts of things. Gene starting this new Brighton Bell series, you know, which I'm, I'm sure will continue mm. her fame and celebrity. Does the fact that the kids aren't, aren't at home so much uh, mean you have more peace and quiet for your work? Well, no, because the house in Barnes is was always big enough for everyone to separate out. That, mm. that was one of the great things about mm. this place, is that mm. uh, really there could be seven or eight people living here and, mm. and you could cut off, mm. like go up to my studio, etc. I think the main conflict that we found was that we're so busy that we went during a midweek office period, you know, that the phone never stops mm. and it is still mm. out. We're still mm. living over the shop, so to mm. speak. Uh, now, it's very much the time for your daughters to be bringing back boyfriends into that. Do you vet them? Are you quite a jealous dad? <laughs> So far, we've liked them <laughs> and welcomed them, so that's okay, mm. that's okay. Do you see much of yourself in, in, the, in your daughters? Do you? That's very hard for me to, mm. uh, to tell. Jean is far more aware of that, but I don't have that much sense of, of myself in that way. I'm, I've mm. never sort of stood, a, stood aside and said, oh, that's my... Sort of. Occasionally, there's a turn of phrase. They say, wait a minute, that's mine. The biggest compliment is they wear a lot of wear and pinch a lot of my clothes, and whereas one might be annoyed about it if I actually uh, think, oh well, it's because I regard it as a great compliment, mm. you see, because they think they think the stuff is stylish enough to wear. Now, one imagines a composer conductor would be quite a nightmare to live with. Are you? Are you quite? Oh, I'm horrible. I'm horrible to live with. <laughs> <laughs>
are you quite are you quite obsessed with your work though? Yeah. Yeah. I just it's 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 just the 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 degree of deadlines mm. crashing around me, you know. So, uh, but um, do you think you might regret that one day though that you didn't spend so much time as a family man? No, no, we did spend time together. And we're, actually, what's quite joyous is, uh, of course, if if uh, they they occasionally turn up mm. at things, you know, and that's really quite fun with fellas. Mm. <laughs> mm. The boyfriends are all become extended family, you know, mm. if if the relationship is working. Mm. Yeah, and then sometimes they're not sure. And we won't meet. Mm. You know, they're kept away. You see, mm. because you know. And then you sort of think, well, what if if it if we if we start liking the guy, you know, and becomes part of the family, and then the mm. relationship breaks down. You know, what are you left with? Ashes. Mm. You know, in your relationship. So, it's tricky. It's a tricky uh, little gambit to play. How do you feel about the prospect of being a granddad one day? Well, that would be thrilling. It would. That would really, really be thrilling. Yes. Yeah. I mean, most people, I imagine. Suddenly, think they'd be terribly old if they're grandparents. But I am old, so what does it matter? I'm also very young, you see. So I would regard I would regard the whole thing as incredibly mm. exciting. Do you think you'll be a very doting granddad one day? I probably will be obsessive. <laughs> and, mm. and Jean was born to play grand. You see, Jean has been playing grand for for ages. So uh, she'll fall right in the way. Anyway, I think she saved everything. I think she saved every scrap of clothes and toys and books and things that the kids ever had. So uh, uh, this child will will not go without. Do you think the two of you will ever retire? Or do you think never. Or die? No, never. never die on the stage. No, because I know, I know. If I stop for a day, if yeah. I've had like I had a period of thirteen days of doing, you know, one of the films and then three, three McCartneys, came back and even though there were lots of things to do, there was a period when I'm not of a fortnight where I'm not conducting. I'm, I'm just writing. And really, it's as if someone had hit me on the back of the head with a hammer. You know, mm. I just am in a state of shock. And so I know really the best thing is just keep going, mm. take your vitamins and keep going. <laughs> This is Peter Jonathan Robertson, and that was an interview I did with Carl Davis in 1993, after which I talked to his wife, the popular actress Jean Boat, who enjoyed a distinguished career on stage and screen. Jean is best remembered for starring as Nellie Boswell in the hit BBC TV situation comedy Bread from 1986 to 1991. At the time of this interview, Jean was working on another BBC sitcom, Brighton Bells, alongside Sheila Hancock, Sheila Gish and Wendy Craig. It was based on the legendary American show, The Golden Girls, and part of a golden period in Jean's life, which came comparatively late, courtesy of Bread. A lot of people would think that doing a sitcom for a long time would be the kiss of death to many actors and actresses, but you seem to have survived that. Why do you think that is? I just think you've got to keep going. I think people can get very snotty about, oh, I don't want to do a comedy series, I'll get typecast. Oh, jeez, darling. They should be looking to have the job, I say. <laughs> so I consider myself very fortunate and very lucky indeed. And it's a doddle, it's a wonderful job. But weren't you, weren't you worried after Bread that you wouldn't perhaps find anything quite as successful again? I didn't think about it. I was glad of the rest. I don't know. I mean, I quite like being at home. I'm terribly lazy, really. You didn't know much of a rest, though. You're non-stop working. You, you haven't really stopped, well, no, I didn't. I mean, but I'm very... I don't, I don't know why. I've had no training whatsoever. And, um, no, I don't know why anyone wants me, really. I'm a bit of a messy sort of actress, really. But seriously, were you concerned after Bread ended? I think when you've been in something for seven years and we, and we knew we had the repeat fees... Coming for the next year, you see, that's the one thing in commercial television you don't get is repeat fees. It's a buyout. So I missed 
knowing that there was another, you know, a lot of money coming whether I did anything or not mm. the following year, because you're guaranteed that, you see, so that makes it rather a nice job for the BBC, on a comedy series anyway. Uh, I don't know, I was invited to go to Chichester straight away. Mm. I knew almost a year ahead what I was going to do, and I don't like that. I know Carl, my husband, is, he plans four or five years ahead. I'd die if I knew. I mean, there's a pretty good chance that, that Brighton Bells is going to be going for four or five years. They've got an mm. option on us for five years. Would you like that? Well, the way it's working out at the moment, I'd be thrilled because it looks as though we're going to start in February next year and we'll be finished by June. So that gives me another six months of the year to do what I, I really want to do, to be honest, is, is help the young kids who are having such a difficulty getting work now. Not because they're not talented or there isn't a lot of television. There is a lot of television. There is a lot of work around. Unless you've got a bloody great agent and you're the sort of person who can hassle, and most actors can't, I find that often the most talented actors are the ones who are very embarrassed about ringing up saying, are you casting anything? They feel, I don't know why, but it is something inherent in an actor's mm. character. And there's no rep for them to go to. There's no theatres in the regions at all mm. anymore. And so it really worries me. There's thousands of kids coming out of drama school I'll just take you back to bread now. Bread. Uh, do you miss it, and, and do you still oh, right. keep in touch with all your fellow characters from that oh, series? Oh, yeah, we, we ring each other. I saw Jonathan Morris last weekend. We did a, a charity at Chichester, and he's... Well, he does lots not to tell you. He's doing the breakfast show. Um, Granddad's on tour. I haven't heard from Victor. Do you miss lately. them all? Um, well, like, I'm afraid in the theatre, when the, it, bread was like a company. You're so used to splitting up. I mean, Kenneth Waller and I... Uh, constant touch our granddad mm. all the time and Jonathan mm. Morris is, and uh, you know I hear from him a lot mm. but you do split up you go your separate ways then you meet up somewhere and it's just as though you have never been apart it's like that with all actors now I heard that Carla Lane was writing a new series and was thinking of putting you in it what happened about that oh well I wasn't even considered yes it was a screaming she wrote right, screaming yeah. specifically yeah. for me to be in it and the powers that be thought it w would be too soon yeah. for me to go back into comedy. What rot! Then there was a new pro new producers, new directors. I wasn't even called in at all to talk to them about it, and I thought that was, uh, you know, a very strange thing to do, because I don't know why. I really don't know why I didn't, didn't wasn't even asked to discuss it. So uh, she had written it specifically for me to appear in it. Mm. And it seemed very strange. But then, and I looked at it, I mean, they decided, oh, I think this was deliberate, to, to paint it down another 10 years so that they were all in their 40s mm. and uh, instead of in their 50s. So, mm. yes, I could accept that. Mm. But not to even to have it discussed, I, was, I thought that was a bit strange. Yeah. Now, you're getting so much work. Apart from Brighton Bells, are you allowed to do anything else? Or are you more tired of the ITV? Oh, no, not at all. Not at all, they're not tired at all. But they are now dis they discuss very early about next year, whereas mm. at the BBC we were never told until the last episode of the show that we would be doing another series. I mean, mm. can you believe it? Mm. We had a top-rated series, like with million, mm. 22 million at one point, mm. and we never knew from one series to the next that there was a possibility of it going on until our dear producer, bless his heart, Robin Nashwood, stood up at the end of the sixth episode, I said, well, the BBC have decided they would like you to do some more, you mm. see. And, and it was also rather grand. And so we lost one or two people because of this grandiose attitude. We lost Peter Howitt in the, originally, and we lost 
Julie Coleman because there was no forward planning. They wouldn't mm. say, God, this is a great show. It's working. We've got these huge figures. We must go on with it. When did Bread end? And, and what was the final scene like when you were all leaving each other forever for the last time at that stage? Well, I don't know. I think it had come to its natural conclusion. I thought that when Lila Lil started to come into my kitchen, <laughs> bless her heart, I thought, this is it, darling. It's and we lost Freddie Boswell. Mm. He decided to leave the show. I thought it's not possible mm. to continue, except we must move it into... Mm. I suppose we could have done. We could have done, and I think they would all have come back. But Were the they're not the invented. End? Not at all, no. no. Everybody had things to go to. I yeah. think we were all going straight into pantomime. I went straight into pantomime. Have you got uh, any more stage because... work coming up now? No. I mean, I have plays sent to me all the time. You've done a few movies, haven't you? So are you going to do any more? Is there anything more? Well, that's all luck. There's no movie business here. You know, I'd be mm. lucky to get the odd scene in something. I don't know. I don't know. I don't think there is anything out there for me particularly to do. I mean, I, I would look for a good comedy. I think, I really think now the public would come and expect me to be very funny mm. and to have a laugh, even mm. though I started my career in BBC drama on television. Mm. But I think so, they would... Yes, they would expect to come and have a bit of a laugh mm. if, this, if I was in some. Mm. Now, you've really hit success, if I may say so, in the sort of second half of your career, as it were. Yeah. Why do you think that is? Why do you think that I've grown, I was once told, you have to grow into your body, your age of your body. Mm. And, I, and it was so funny, because I, I found a photograph that came down from my mother. When I was 15, I joined the local dramatic society, you see, and I was sort of big celebrity in, in my town, Birkenhead and Liverpool, you see. I was in everything. And I always played, apart from musicals, I did all the musicals and all the soubrettes, all the comedy, singing, tap dancing roles in the amateur musicals from when I was 13. And at 15, I thought, right, I must be an actress. I'm going to do some drama now. So I joined the local dramatic society. And I was in ASM and took it very seriously, you know, and helping everybody because they were all very old. I mean, you know, I was a, a kid, but I didn't mind. I wanted to learn. I thought that's the way to do it. We had no money in the family and I, there was no chance of... I, well, nobody knew what to do with people who wanted to be an actor in, in the north of England you know, at all, really, in our side of the water. Anyway, there was no one to help you, guide you, like at schools and things, you know. No one could help you, which they do now. So I joined the society and they were all very old. And the first place, Sailor Beware, the woman who was playing Aunt Edie, which is the old, silly old aunt, you know, a bit like <laughs> Josephine in Brighton Bells, mm. She broke a leg the week before the show. You know, tragedy. There was nobody around to do it. And I was the ASM. So this, she rang up and said, Oh, Jeannie, I've broken my leg. I go, Do you think you could possibly go on for me? So I said, What do you mean? You know, for this sort of 60 year old, old battered old crone. And I said, Oh, well, all, all right then. And so I just put some dark rings around my eyes and put some white and I looked exactly as I do now and played this part. So my career was born. <laughs> playing funny old ladies when I was 15. And I, and I continued to do that in a funny sort of way, even when I went to the Playhouse in Liverpool. Apart from, you know, your television fame and stuff, you're very well known for doing so much for charity. And do you do that because you feel so grateful to the industry for giving you these great opportunities now? Well, I don't know to think about it. I suppose I was born doing charity work, cause I, uh, really, because my mother... We had no money. I thought we should have been a charity at home, never mind. I mean, if you brought up during the war with nothing, and um, we went round all the camps. My sister and I were at dancing school, you see, and we were tiny during the war, and we were tap dancing away. And the school used to take shows to all the hospitals and 
after the war, the Americans, they, they, all the soldiers and sailors and things, came back to the Merseyside. There were big camps there, Air Force camps, and we used to put on shows all the time for them. Mm. And all our lives were spent doing performances for charity. Nobody got a penny for it, and I did think that we were broke in the family. We had to make our own costumes, and my mother was up all night. But somehow you felt, well, we got a house, and we weren't bombed out, and you began to be glad to be alive at all. You'd seen such devastation, I suppose, during the war. And but when you've lived in those conditions, how do you feel about living in a house like this now? Does that make you ever so grateful about it? No, we always lived in big houses. I mean, we didn't have any money, but houses cost nothing, you know, to buy in the north. And as my father's work progressed after the war, and they all, everyone started to get back to work again, and he, we worked at home. We had an office at home always. And so we needed bigger and bigger houses as his work got bigger and better, you know. So, and we moved around. We moved every three or four years, which I do myself. I love it. I've been here 12 years. I'm dying to go now. <laughs> but I can't find anywhere big enough now to cope with the, work, with the music, of cars music, you see. We have a problem. And anyway, I like this house now. I mean, I, and I like barns. I love Barnes, actually, because the kids have had a wonderful childhood here. Mm. The schools, the environment, the, the local pond and green and, and the pub, mm. the old pubs that they all go to. I mean, it's a very sort of secure little place mm. and everybody knows you, knows the children. And, and even when there was a flasher, there was a little flasher on the common one day, there were six kids there and this boy came and flashed himself. And they all turned around and they were together and laughed at him, you see, so he ran off. Well, all the parents, of course, were in high touch and called in the police. But I thought, well, they were all together, and it was, they thought it was the daft, silliest thing. This poor boy is now mortally offended and totally scarred for life. But I thought, well, that's okay. And they all came back roaring with laughter. thought it was ever so funny. And they were sort of traumatized by this. And I thought that could only happen in barns. You know, the kids are so well-balanced. <laughs> now, I mean, you have a fair troop of celebrities coming through your doors here, and Paul yeah. McCartney's been here and so on. Do you get people you know, hanging outside waiting for these celebs to come out or, or is it very quiet and discreetly done? No, that's why they come here. We've got Olympic Studios here. The girls sit outside there, of course, mm. waiting for the pop groups to come out. But very few. Mm. I mean, when I think of who comes to Olympic to record or everyone knew, I suppose, or mm. didn't know that Paul was here because it was so quiet. But he wandered up and down the village and liked being here for that very reason. He felt he could go into a shop mm. and say hi and they say, hello, Paul, how are you? And he'd buy his flowers and his fruit, and, and he was treated like a human being. Mm. And, I mean, Barnes is just full of well-known actors and pop musicians or whatever. And that's why they live here. Mm. I mean, who, who do you get excited to see? Who would uh, stir the blood in your veins? Stir the blood in my veins? Well, I don't know. I suppose when Paul, Paul comes to work with Carl, that's very exciting, I have to say that. Well, I mean, you are looking at a bit of history, and mm. you can't get away from that, even though he is a very nice guy. And, and he's, you know, I know he's got a smashing wife and a great family. It is, you can't quite get over that. And when, and when um, he came into the show, Brett, I mean, I couldn't speak. I mean, the kids, Billy and, and, and uh, Joey and all that, we all went to a cafe for lunch. And I mean, I just sat rather silently. He must have thought I was terribly rude, but I really couldn't cope with this, the most famous man in the world, you could say. Then he was very sweet to me and said, it's all right. I mean, he, he's used to this. <laughs> and, of course, I didn't realize then that I'd get to know him much better later on. And then like he's just part of the family. You know, I can feed him and, and look after him or mm. whatever. But you, it really is very, very hard with someone. Like, it would be like the other person that I would really 
and I did see him once at the someone took me to the elephant on the river was Frank Sinatra. Mm. I mean, to me, that it's the same as seeing mm. Paul. So how did Frank you feel Sinatra. when Carl worked with Paul and they produced this fabulous oratoria, and they sort of like celebrating together at the end of the concert with their hands together? Did you feel very proud and quite moved? Yeah, it was a relief, if you like, that it mm. had worked because the other thing was, of course, we heard it in the in the cathedral, and it, which is a terrible echo, and it sounded yeah. awful, mm. and it and it wasn't for me. It wasn't until you hear the record, and I have now heard it many, many times around the world in a proper concert hall, mm. that I first I I just thought, oh golly, I mm. hadn't heard the tapes or anything. All you got was this cacophony, wonderful sound mm. of music and choirs, but you couldn't really hear what what it was like because mm. they were recording it then to, to put in. But it was a great night, and you know it was all wonderful, mm. everyone screaming and shouting. But I really didn't didn't understand what they had done until I heard, until I went to Bergen for a particular performance on Carl's birthday, and I suddenly realised. I mean, I heard the rehearsals in the Philharmonic and everything, but. And they were getting it together, but it wasn't until I heard it in Bergen that I realised what a great work it really is, and then you know listened to the to the records, mm. which is a balanced thing, and you then understand because it's I, I really do believe they got very mixed reception on it. Yes, everyone packs in to hear mm. it, but because nobody's heard it unless you hear it in a proper concert hall mm. with the right acoustic, and then or listen to the record, it really is phenomenal. You and Carl are great supporters of each other's work, aren't you? Oh, I am. I, th I mean, he's a genius. Very hard living with a genius, but in that case, who wants to live with a genius? You have to serve a genius, you see. Anyway, he's away a lot conducting, so so we get easy, a little piece of yeah, quiet because yeah. when he's home, all hell sets loose. No, but he is an amazing. Just he is a very, very extraordinary man. So generous to artists and to people working with him. Really, mm. totally committed not interested in anything except writing his music mm. and, and he wants to work with Paul again and I'm sure Paul, I mean they do want to work on another, but it's getting them together, they're both all over the world, mm. Paul's just going off on another tour, so it is hard to get them together, mm. they're be very busy, both in great demand. Does Carl get equally excited about your work? Oh yes he does, he loved me being Nelly Boswell, he's, he's objected to being an actress because he doesn't understand about actresses, he says I tend to take on the role of the character I'm playing. It, it fills my life mm. every day. It adds another. I add a dimension to it by becoming this person in my house, which drives me crazy. So what I've tried to do with the new character, Nelly, I was just so horrible, and I was bossing all the kids around. They couldn't wait for it to end. I treated them all as though they, they were in the show. <laughs> but this character is so awful that I have tried to work against mm. it at home. I said, well, I cannot go around being Josephine at home. She's mm. too horrible. So... Well, your two daughters have now gone into acting. I mean, yes. Most people would say, don't put your daughter oh, on Oh, no, screen. no, I, I encourage them. Really. Did you? Uh, Hannah has just got a rave review in the stage today for a play she did at the London New Play Festival. She's brilliant, and mm. I'm, I'm very, very proud to say she is. Mm. I mean, it would have been awful if, she, if she hadn't been... It hasn't, wasn't as good. I wouldn't have been able to cope with it. But I do understand about actors also developing at different times in their lives. So I, if she hadn't have been good now... Mm. but was still passionate about being an actor, I know that it's possible to develop and be mm. a very good actor. You don't have to start off being brilliant. 
Do you think they will both be actresses and good actresses? No, Jessie's going to be a producer, thank God. She's at Mr Lovick Technical Course, and she's actually stage managing a fringe production at this very moment, Mm. working day and night, and is having a wonderful time. Mm. This is her holidays, but she's never stopped working at all, and through the holiday, and it's really a great opportunity Mm. for her. Now, hand on your heart, how much help is it to them having you two for parents? I would say not at all. Absolutely not at all. And I have not been able to get Hannah a job at all, Mm. or even an agent, which I find a bit alarming, in that I expect my children to be looked after. Mm. Jessie isn't an actress, she's Mm. right, but my nephew's an actor, and he's just going into PF. Stephen Noonan, so he's come straight out of drama school and gone into PF, which is wonderful. I mean, he got an agent completely on his own, looked at him at drama school. I have not been able to influence their work at all. It surprised me in that I would expect actors' children who choose to be actors Mm. to be looked after, to to nepotism should help them a bit. I really believe in that because Mm. it's a hard enough career and we've got about 300 years of, of... acting in our family, theatre career in our family. And it's a very long history of theatre. And I would, I would expect it. And I was a, I'm a bit alarmed about it, a bit cross about it. Well, she's not doing too badly, is no, she? No, she's doing fine. And so good on her. Mm. Certainly nothing to do with me. Mm. I mean, they're doing this, they're writing and doing these comedy nights now mm. on The Man in the Moon because the kids have got together, such is the, you know, the problem mm. in London. Too many actors, too few jobs. So they said, okay, we don't care. We write our own shows and put mm. them on, um, invite people to see us and perhaps move us into another area of work. And I think that's fantastic. And I'll you know, let them use anything they want in the house. And How old are your two girls now? Well, Hannah's 21 and Jessie's 19. Uh, and when you see Hannah performing, do you see yourself in, in her? I don't know. I don't know what I look like. Do you not watch yourself on TV? No. <laughs> I don't know anyway, she's much younger than me. Come on. <laughs> no, no, it's too horrible, too embarrassing. Don't watch really? myself. Yeah, it's in cringe time. <laughs> I'm always surprised anyone em- employs me. But do you see little mannerisms in your two daughters that sort of you think, oh, that's quite. I see a lot of my stubbornness and ridiculousness, and I s- Jessie has inherited all my temperament, my younger daughter, my flaring temper, my aggression, She's, which is sad. <laughs> Look at her, beautiful girl. She'll be here in a second. I think that's sad. <laughs> um, Hannah's inherited Carl's sort of laid-back philosophy, so that's quite nice mm. for, uh, that she's got that. She's not at all. She doesn't get angry at all. Um, she just gets on with life, and mm. it's a dreamer. She has she has my dreamy side because I just go into a dream sometimes. And she's got that. She's got the better bits, and uh, poor old Jessie's inherited all my bad bits. Mm. But she's inherited her father's. Carl's drive and energy mm. that she's up at seven, she can go out and work mm. and she loves work and that she's got from Carl this terrific mm. drive to work Do you advise them much? Do you give them Constantly, I tell them I don't advise them, I tell them what to do all the time, so what's that's the, what I'm there for So what's the Boat Davis philosophy? Boat Davis philosophy get out and work kids, get up and get out and work, yeah. that's all mm. doesn't matter what you do, it doesn't matter if you want to be an actor and can't find a job, doesn't matter can't get a job in a pub, that's acting, mm. selling. So I was a salesman, you know. Mm. That's the best acting job in the world, being convinced about a product. Try and get a product you like. Mm. But, I mean, you can't sell it. I, I just think just being alive is great. 
Um, whereabouts do they live, and, and, and do you miss them not being at home? Oh, Hannah's only just moved up with friends into her own apartment. She's just gone to Barons Court. We've all been trying to move over the river for years, and I've failed miserably, but she's made it. She's made it to a tube. <laughs> she lives near a tube. Fantastic. And they're here by the minute, of course. I'm quite useful when they're aware they don't mind yeah. coming back to do their washing and mm. have the odd meal. Where's Jessie living? Jessie's still here, because she's at college still. But she's, I'm not moving out yet, Mummy. I don't, I'm not moving out. She likes being looked after. And, but she's been in Bristol for a year on, on her own with friends in a flat, so to come home and be looked after mm. is a treat. Mm. Certainly is, yes. <laughs> now, you've got your animals here as well. I mean, there they it's are. It's really quite a, quite a household, isn't it, really? Is it? Does it take some upkeep? Yeah, it does. The problem is if you go on tour, is the animals now. Yeah. I mean, now the children have gone, I don't need any residential help mm. so that the house mining and baby minding, mm. but I do need someone. I never leave the house empty. There's, it's, a, it's a big house. And it's, there's someone lives in it 24 hours a day because mm. there's so much music here, really. We don't own much artifacts that anyone will want to pinch, but we, it has to be looked after. Mm. And the dogs, you, they're, like, they're worse than children. Mm. You cannot have animals and leave them, and they're used mm. to having people here 24 hours a day mm. making a big fuss about them. Just the two dogs, are there? And, and two cats. cats. Two they're cats. very old now, the cats. How do you think you and Carl would feel about being grandparents? Oh, great. I can't wait. Really? Yes, yes. Marvellous thing about being grandparents, you can spoil them to death. That's what grandparents are for. Yeah. And then, of course, they come and take them away when it gets, you know, too difficult. Or There was some woman who wanted some kids or something, and she was 50-odd, and I thought, God, those sleepless nights now that you have when your parents... And I don't know anyone who has babies who sleep all the night. I don't, I've never met anybody like that. All, all the people I know have babies who wake up all night. Mm. Um, I thought, I don't know how you cope. The energy levels required for bringing up babies is mm. enormous. I mean, you know. I mean, I was very, very active in the theatre before I had my children. And then, when they came, Carl got very busy doing World at War, and I was in that fortunate state. So I went back to Stratford East to work for Joan Littlewood. When Hannah was three months, I took her with me. I took Hannah with me, but when the second baby came, it becomes a problem, you mm. know, following a career with a baby, I think, unless you're terribly rich. And fringe and theatre work is not rich, and I didn't mm. go into television until much later. Mm. Then you could afford to have a nanny in and things like mm. that, but we couldn't have afforded when we were married to have nannies and things. We didn't have the money. How long um, have you been married now? 22 years. 22 years. And why do you think that is? I mean, show business usually lasts, supposed to last two years, aren't you? Two years, yes. I don't know. I don't know. Toleration. I don't know really why. We're both pretty sparky people. I'd had a very, very busy, what I consider successful theatre career mm. before I met Carl. Not so starry or anything like that, West Endy, but very artistically, creatively satisfactory mm. career. It had been very good for me from the very beginning. Then when the babies came along and things, I mean, and I was working when we were married, and then Hannah came along, and I thought, oh, this is wonderful. You know, we're a bit broke, but it is like a production. <laughs> We've got a little baby now. And so I will now be a perfect housewife. Mm -hmm. And I and try and enjoy, and enjoyed mm -hmm. that. Then plays came along, and I took Hannah with me when she was tiny. It's easy to do that. And the, it was as though someone said, okay, Bo, you're going to be a little mother now. And um, it didn't worry me at all, you know, that uh, we just managed and had a very nice time with the mm. babies when they were tiny. Do you have a formula, though, to, for your success? No, 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 it's just luck. <laughs> Do you think you'll always be lucky together? Do you think you'll always be happy together? 
Well, we fight a lot. It's great. Yeah, we have. I mean, and I just would be having a very direct way. I mean, I don't hide anything if I'm unhappy about something. I just say so. Mm. And I suppose I think that's perhaps why it's worked. I mean, mm. I mean, he's so absorbed in his work, and he perhaps wouldn't notice that you were getting upset about mm. something, whatever it might be. So and it is so you, you have to sort of throw something, and then say, "Oh dear, oh, I'm so sorry." You see, yes, you're right. I suppose we're both absorbed in our work, mm. but it's sort of I've kept separate from Carl's work really because mm. it's so different, and I think that's why it's worked. We've not sort of come into each other's territory at all, although we did meet working together, mm. funnily enough. But I I really did see a lot of problems when husbands and wives worked together, mm. and. The playhouse where I worked originally in Liverpool, husband and wife teams were banned. Although they were very famous star couples, Luntz or you know Olivia and Vivian Lee, but that was a pretty. Um, the history of it seemed to be pretty devastating, and and I mean they were quite right. And they 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 always felt that wives and husbands should support each other, but you would be an actress working somewhere else, but you should not work with your husband if you wanted any sort of. A, amicable relationship, and that sort of stuck in my mind, I suppose. When you are together, though, away from work, what sort of things do you like to do? And, uh... We love travelling around in a car, sightseeing, uh, Scotland, we had the most wonderful time of our lives. What we do, we fly somewhere, hire a car and motor about, mm -hmm. staying at you know, nice places. And Carl is a gourmet food, loves food. So our holiday is about finding the best restaurants, the best hotels with the best food. And it, we haven't had a holiday for 18 months now. We had a week in Scotland 18 months ago. We haven't been anywhere. Because he goes all over the world, so he's so happy to come home and mm. be home. But we like that very much. And it's my great joy, which I hope over the next few years, if, if Brighton Bells takes off, that I'll be able to do is follow him around the world, which has mm. a very, very big Europe, a world concert career mm. now. And he's in great demand all over the world. So that I can pop out. Mm. I wouldn't go during a rehearsal period, because that's pretty fretful for him but I turn up for the show mm. and then celebrate afterwards and then usually have a day or two when he can look around a bit and so that's a very nice thing to do. It's lovely, you wouldn't put your career first then? Well it sort of meanders on really, doesn't it? I don't know. It's pretty successful. <laughs> it's sort of, it's there and mm. I tried not to let it hamper with the kids' lives and I put them first. Carl will be okay. He's okay. Mm. He doesn't need me to worry about him anymore, except to wash his socks or so. Presumably neither of you got much to worry about now. I mean, is that a nice feeling that you sort of... I wouldn't like to say that. That's huh? no, Oh, no. N I'm not for Carl. I think, no, I don't think he has got anything to worry about because he creates work. If one door closes, he would... Open, open another himself. He's always done that. He's the most fantastic worker, <coughs> energizer. He would create. I mean, we were always, although we were broken, I don't think we were very busy. He always seemed to be busy when we were first married. And he couldn't have been really, but he, mm. he created work. He made mm. work. You know, he'd go out and find it and mm. anything. Would you say this is the happiest period of your life? Oh, yes, I think it is now. I mean, now that, now that the kids have they've made it and they haven't died and they haven't had, have been run over and, you know, which is all the things. <laughs> Touch when I say that. You know, I've got them to this stage mm. and all your life when you're a mum, you think the phone's going to go and something terrible has happened. That's all. Every time the phone goes and they're not, if they're at school, you think, mm. oh, oh, God. 
And you read in the, because it always, it's no different now, I really don't think there's more murders, I don't think there's any more bashings up and rapes than there ever was, but mm. we have me the media to tell us about it immediately now. Mm. So we're, we're constantly aware, which is a very horrible situation, I think, for mm. parents, surrounded with danger for them as children. Mm. Of course, it's not true, really. It's a very small percentage. Mm. But it seems as though... In, why shouldn't it be your child? Mm. You know, something terrible happens to a child. So you think, God, why, you know, I'm lucky. The next time the phone rings, it might be mm. for me. And, of course, it, it, you, know, you have that sort of worry. You let, obviously you don't think about it all the time, mm. but then you read something awful in the paper. And I'm glad that we are, are made aware of these things now um, very quickly so that you are very much more on the alert for them than parents mm. ever were perhaps in the past. You thought you just let them walk. I, as a child, I used to wander around the fields and I'd disappear all day. Mm. And I was a wanderer. My mother said I'd never, I'd go out at breakfast. I wasn't seen again until I was hungry and then mm. I'd disappear again. And now, you know, parents would go balmy if they mm. thought a child was doing that. Mm. You know, I would be in someone's house having a good time. Or I'd go and call on people and I'd wander around the fields and all on my own, and I must indefinite danger. I definitely was a lunatic, but somebody kept their eye on me, and I'm still here. What would you like from the future now for you and your family? I would like for them, I'd like the kids to find fulfilment. I mean, I've, I've mm. had a very good life and a very good career, and it will go on because the older you get, I know that if you survive, you know, the older you get, then there is a whole range of work just for old people. I mean, you know, okay, so that I'm just going to be used because I'm old and can remember me as long as I can remember my life. I have no great ambitions for myself at all, except I would like to form a company uh, for in London to... I'm working with the Actors' Centre at the moment, the idea of so many kids coming out of drama school and they can't keep up their work, their theatre work, that aren't the jobs for them. Many of them will fall by the wayside and, and you can't tell how talented they are or not. Um, they may be brilliant when they're young, um, they may not be very good when they come out of drama school, but they may develop later. And I want to form uh, evening productions of professional actors, so that perhaps in a year, just working one night a week, you know, we had a kids' group here, but I'd like it to be purely professional, and we will put on three major classical works, because this is when they start losing touch with their abilities. And so that keep showing them, keep letting them be seen, and, you know, so that they say, yes, I am an actor, but I might have to earn my living in another, bread and butter in another way, but I will keep working, and I think that's the most important thing I can do mm. for young people at the moment. What about for you and Carl? Well, for us, I mean, we just poddle on, kiddo, really. I don't know. I, at the moment, I just love having a day off. It's great. But know what I would like? I would like... A bolt hole. We've been looking. He's been in Spain lately, and loves the country, Mallorca, and, and um, he's been a lot of concerts out there. And I've always, well, I think, I would like a really lovely country house in England, and the money to run it, so mm. that I could just pop down when I wanted to. And I haven't got that now. I've, even with my successful career, mm. I can't afford to do that. We spend a lot of money keeping going as mm. as a, as a successful couple, if you like. Mm. It costs a lot. Particularly for Carl, we need a lot of staff to support him. He has a manager, a librarian, an assistant, and a, a musical assistant, and a secretary. That's four people just to keep him on the road, mm. apart from all the copyists and arrangers that he employs mm. whenever he's doing anything very major. 
So that takes up a lot of our money, I'm afraid. We have a lot mm. of staff. So my dream home is way out the window, kiddo. But I've, I've got it there, and I keep buying country knife every week and, this, and dreaming. Am I allowed to ask how old you two are now? Oh, yeah, we're both 56, 50, 57, I am. Wait a minute, it's like 57. Right, and uh, do, do you two worry about getting older? Do you sort of start exercising or...? I mean, conducting is his exercise, but right. I, my exercise is just lying in bed as long as possible on a day off <laughs> and chocolate cake. <laughs>